Board Gaming with Education, a podcast for anyone curious about how games and education mix. We explore various topics like game-based learning, gamification, and board games, and the impacts they have on learning. Here's your host, Dustin Statz. Coming up, we have another episode of Board Game with Education. Excited for this conversation because I got the chance to meet Michael in person again, well, I guess got to see him. I met him in person the first time at Game Level Learn Con 2 this past winter. It was super cool because he's a member of our Facebook group, Game-Based Learning, Gamification, and Games and Education. It was awesome to see his game, Empiric, in person at the conference. I kind of was a bit surprised to see it there because I wasn't expecting to see a game that I've seen in our Facebook group at a conference. And it was really cool to be able to meet with him in person again in Los Angeles and talk about his game. I learned a lot from his experience and I'm sure you will learn a lot as well, especially if you're either designing a game for learning or if you are using games to teach learning outcomes because he uses his game in his class to teach his med students. Super awesome game. Uh, bit over my head because it really dives into the guidelines for using antimicrobial use in different drugs and he does a much better job at explaining this but really awesome I had a chance to play it a little bit and I actually enjoyed playing it even though I didn't quite catch what was going on since it's really designed for students that are studying that type of content. So I think you'll gain a lot out of this conversation if you are either designing a game for learning or if you are using games to teach your students. We do have an update from Board Gaming with Education. Again, you can go to boardgamingwitheducation.com and sign up for our newsletter. You'll receive all our updates there as well. But we have already launched our YouTube channel and we're getting close to 100 subscribers already. Super, super excited for that. Well, hopefully by the time this episode comes out, we hit 100. So if you're listening to this podcast and you prefer video content or you want that in addition to normally tuning into this podcast, you can check out our YouTube channel. We cover content that is different from the podcast, so it's always new, always fresh content. We do weekly live streams as well every Sunday at 12 o'clock Pacific Standard Time. Release two videos a week, so be sure to check out the YouTube channel. And with that, let's get to our conversation. Welcome to an episode of Board Game with Education. I am super excited here because Michael was kind enough to welcome me into his home. And I'm here with Michael Kosamini, and we are going to talk about his game, Empiric. Did I pronounce the game right? You pronounced I'm both pre- my name and the game correctly. Awesome. Thank you. So before we get started, I kind of want to share a little bit about how I met Michael. And we met at Game Level Learn Con. It was really cool because I had seen his game in our Facebook group a few times and he asked for some feedback and some advice on the direction of the game. And when I walked into the room to record his presentation, it's like, whoa, this game looks really familiar. And the name actually sounds pretty familiar too. So I looked into the Facebook group and sure enough, Michael, I was able to meet him in person at Game Level Learn Con. So that was really cool. So Michael, can you share a little bit about yourself and maybe a quick preview to the game you're working on? Yeah, so I'm a pediatrician and I teach medical students and residents who are learning, you know, after they graduate from medical school, learn how to be pediatricians. So I work in that in that setting, like in a clinical setting, teaching teaching those doctors while seeing patients. So 
my game is for for that sort of educational content and for teaching in that sort of setting. So in the in a clinic setting where we'll go play a hand of the game and see a patient together and play another hand of the game and see a patient together. That sort of that sort of place. Awesome. And so you designed a game for your students or for other professionals in your field? Yeah, the game was really something that I developed to use myself for teaching and have subsequent subsequently shared with other professionals and started to sell online. But originally the game was just built for my own use. Awesome. And I'm super excited to ask you some questions about that because I had a chance to watch your presentation and I learned a lot from it and my experience with designing a game. So before we get there, can you tell us about a time you learned something through playing a game? Yeah, I have some vivid memories from high school of using of some a couple teachers that used games for education. I think the first one I can think of is we had a, a stock market game. It was some sort of stock market simulation. And I remember I bought stock in pizza and my friend bought stock in diamonds and everyone else followed him into diamonds. <laughs> and I learned learned how to lose, lose in the stock market game then. <laughs> pizza was not a good investment. <laughs> I thought, yeah, I just was buying the stocks that interest me personally. <laughs> I still think diamonds are a scam. I've kind of maybe held a grudge about that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, maybe. <laughs> I also had a really good, I don't know what I learned from this module, but I know I absolutely enjoyed and remembered one of my uh, best teachers in, in high school had a very big uh, dominoes section. So in math class, we used dominoes for at least like maybe a week or two of class time was dedicated to dominoes. It was, that yeah, was very memorable. Really cool. I've never actually heard of a teacher use dominoes for math that, that's the first time i'm sure it happens maybe often but that was the first time i've heard of it my math teacher used like i think it was either skittle skittles or m&ms to teach probability mm. awesome so one thing we like to learn about our guests too is how the board game hobby relates to your career or how you got into playing games or designing games so maybe you could share a little bit about your journey into playing games and then designing a game for your students playing games i probably have a maybe a dull backstory in that way, but I, you know, I played a lot of risk and maybe it was grade school or middle school. And then I remember very vividly a friend bringing out a pack of magic, the gathering cards. And I can just, I can still picture that like revised edition grizzly bear. (laughs) That was the first one that I played with. So I played a ton of magic. And then of course, more recently hobby games with like, you know, Catan and Agricola and you know, all the ones you probably everybody else has played. So I don't have that that exciting of an adventure into games. Why I teach with games, I think is maybe more interesting. I think I'm not sure why I started doing it, but maybe for five or six years now, I've been kind of making small exercises like pictures of there's a lot of numbers we need to learn. So at what at what number of platelets in a child would we need to give them a platelet transfusion, sort these indications or match the skin finding with an associated brain, like print out photos at CVS and have students match the pictures together. Or I'd have a set of paint abstract paintings that sort of represent something a child could do and have the have the students sort those sort those photos in the order a child could do them. So I use lots of little small exercises for teaching, especially since I need to teach in very short segments of time. I kind of am stealing that time from from clinical work is how I feel about it and have to kind of be very respectful of my students' time since they have a lot of, you know, real work and fairly important work that they need to do. So I do a lot of very short exercises. I find it's very good for 
engaging students that have a lot of distraction, a lot of other being pulled in a lot of different directions. A short game is a really good way to get people off the phone, off the computer into the table for a, a little bit of teaching in a busy day. Yeah. So both for fighting for their attention, but also like engaging with the content and people get competitive people. They really put effort in when you're using a game to teach. Yeah. I think that's huge is one thing you had said is especially just playing board games with family or friends is putting away the phone, right? If you're, if you're lecturing in a like adult to adults or university students, they're going to be on their phones and multitasking, right? They're going to be texting and listening at the same time. That's kind of the nature of our society yeah. now, right? But when we're playing games, it seems like we want to be involved in that game or that social interaction with our peers. And if nothing else, some something is like physically in your hands. You can't hold your phone and type on the computer and hold cards in your hand at the same time. I think there's something there's something about the tactile nature of tabletop games I think is really great for education. Right, right. Awesome. So, and then you went from designing these different types of activities that were either game-like or games, and then you decided to create your own. What made you go there? Like, what made you take that leap? I think most people that make games do, like, have a thought of a game up front and build a prototype and test the prototype. What happened to me was a little different because it kind of did just blend from these exercises into the full sort of standalone serious game. I just printed on drive through cards, like a print-on-demand service, a bunch of names of antibiotics and classes. I just thought, hey, antibiotics are fun. I'll use these for something. I just printed them without any true game in mind. And through playing with them with students and using them for teaching, the game itself kind of developed in an iterative process out of just a big stack of cards that had names of antibiotics on them. Awesome. And then the game is, because I had a chance to play it, and I, I actually really enjoyed playing it, even though I had no idea really what I was doing because you have to kind of really be a professional in your field to understand or make the connections maybe or at least have a little bit background knowledge of the pharmaceuticals right yeah I put on the cover that it's med med student year one plus is the uh, age okay, criteria yeah. so not you don't need to know a ton but you do need to know a little bit right but I mean I did learn something from playing the game that you're not supposed to put turtles in your mouth because you might get salmonella <laughs> that's, that's actually <laughs> applicable to everyone yeah. kids under six should not have turtles no one should put turtles in their mouth and just because you don't let the kid touch the turtle doesn't mean they can't get salmonella. So I right. think if, if anyone's going to take one thing home from this podcast, I'd really like that to be it. <laughs> the turtles. Oh, yeah, but no, I had, I did have fun. It was fun to kind of guess, I guess, to what like pharmaceuticals might help treat something. And that was entertaining for me just because I got to learn a little bit. So what is the game like exactly? Or can you give us a rundown of what it's like to play? So the game is just cards. It's a card game where... Students will compete to match antibiotics with the infections that those antibiotics treat. So at a given moment, each student will have about five cards in their hand. There'll be about five infections available on the table for them to treat. And these infections will have variable scores. So you treat something very difficult like meningitis and you score seven points. You treat something very easy like an ear infection and you score one point. So based on the difficulty in getting the right antibiotics and the difficulty of the educational content, there's variable score. And really, you just take turns treating these infections. If you get them right, you score points. If you get them wrong, you don't. And because your choices are limited by the cards in your hand, 
um, there's a little bit of chance to the game. It's not just, you know, like a, a Jeopardy game where you just answer questions correctly or not. There's a little bit more of a game to it to, to keep people engaged and also so people can feel like it's not just a competition of who knows the most. The game also uses some, there's some intricities to the scoring um, to encourage people to not use antibiotics when antibiotics are, it's an option not to treat. So we try to teach a little bit of stewardship with the game. So certain types of ear infections actually don't need antibiotics. You could either use antibiotics or not. And the the solution in the game where you don't use antibiotics scores you more points than the one where you do. So it's trying to teach both the correct treatment for all these infections, but really what's best from a stewardship standpoint as well. That's super awesome. I love how you use the game mechanics and you look at real life examples of that profession that as a professional, what you might do and how some are more difficult as a professional and they actually score more points in the game and how you may not need to use any drugs, I guess, to treat something. And that's a bonus for the player. How did you decide to make that connection? Like, how did you, I think when we're designing games, we want to try to make it as close to real world as possible. But how did you come up with the idea of making those two things connect? Yeah, there's a real balance in, I mean, in some ways we're abstracting a a real life situation. Like these are cases you might see in real life. How do you treat them? And we want to reward good behavior. So, I mean, what your game, the behavior your game rewards is the behavior that you're teaching. So I think that's really what I wanted to, to say with that, that scoring more for observation is I want my students to walk out and say, oh, I know this one. I don't have to treat this one. So I want to reward that behavior in the game and sort of thus encourage it in real life. That's, I don't know why that, I don't know why or how I thought of that, but that's what I'm trying to do with it. Right, right. No, I think that totally makes sense. And it, for me, it's really important as a teacher, right? If you're designing, if we're looking at a bigger picture, like a classroom and just how you want your students to interact with your, with your, in your class, you encourage different behaviors through maybe rewards or you discourage other behaviors during, through like uh, punishments, I guess. But I think that's applies to a game too, right? And the example that you gave about not treating something with drugs, but maybe letting it pass. I don't know. I'm not the professional. Oh, just like, so, yeah, watching and waiting right. and making, you know, and seeing if it, if it gets better on its own. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's really important. There's a lot more like that, you know, the game really does extract away a lot of, a lot of what happens in real life. Right. I really tried to teach that core, that core match really of which antibiotic goes for which infection that like through different iterations of the game, I definitely had it be a lot more, a lot more complicated, a lot more, more of a robust game with, you know, certain infections having less time to get to treat them or additional ways to score points beyond that core match. And I really found that, you know, all those mechanics didn't really serve the educational goal, even though I found them more fun to play with when I was like playing with my, my friends who were play testing with me. So I think that was the other like important thing in the iterative process is like really cutting away everything and every mechanic that isn't targeted at a specific educational goal for your game. Right, right. Yeah. You can you have to if you're using a game in class, it has to be has to be entertaining too a little bit. Or fun, engaging, I guess. Not entertaining, but engaging. And the engaging part is the fun part. Right? Yeah. <laughs> awesome. So one thing that I like to see was your design going from your first iteration to your end. What was that process like? So this might be someone, if they're interested in also creating a game for the classroom, what advice might you give them through that iteration process? I think the next time I will make a game, I will probably have more thoughts up front about 
this has really happened, yeah, through an iterative process and and maybe is not the best way to tell someone how to design a game. It's just what happened to me. But I do think absolutely playing it a bunch is helpful. Anyone that <laughs> makes games can talk about play testing, of course. I think having your your educational goals up front, and for me it was really content that I felt very comfortable teaching, co- content that I teach all the time, and content that I know people are getting wrong in the real world. So I think having you know those sort of educational goals up front is really important. People talk about, you know, a minimum viable prototype. So I do think it's good if you're going to make your game, don't like design it in your head very long, get out like three by five cards and start writing things down on them and start testing it immediately to see if what you're doing makes sense. Because there's a lot of things that I put in this game that people playing the game absolutely would not accept. Like at one point I said, hey, let's turn over one card. You get to see the back and then choose to treat it. People playing the game That didn't feel like a game to them, (laughs) even though I thought it was something that make them feel more safe. I thought it would be good for like a teaching environment. It was like not something that works in a game for people. And so you I had to cut that. So I think getting the thing out on cards, getting it playing right away is really important for designing your game. I think I'd said before, but I found through the process cutting, 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 cutting like the first game you make for me and for you too, if it's your first, I think should be small. So keeping whatever the project is to be small is something I would definitely advise someone who's new to making a game. And I used a print on demand service. And I think that's a very good way to go for a first time making the game. You know, a lot of people will, a lot of the games you hear about will have been kickstarted and they will order, you know, a thousand or 1500 units to be printed in China and then shipped over here and distributed by a distributor. And that really requires a, a pretty high number of copies to be sold. It requires a fair amount of financial risk. It requires a lot of logistics. And all those things were things that I was not interested in taking on in my first game. So I think using a print-on-demand service has really served me well for making it easy for me to make mistakes without too much financial cost and to get the games in the hands of people all over the country quickly. Right. I think I'm going to be a hypocrite here and say definitely start small because with the world's XP, I I think I, I started a little too big. And that was maybe one of the challenges. There were several to get in it funded. But moving forward, I'm going to take your advice and take my advice now is the next project I do is going to be very small, just deck of cards moving forward. So are you going to print on demand it or is this going to be another Kickstarter and order it's, a bunch? It's going to be print on demand for play testers. Like I'll get it to teachers. It's the review deck builder that I have. But that way it's a small project and printing on demand is very cheap to get to play testers where World's XP, if I wanted to send it to a teacher, it's like over $50 to have it printed and shipped there. So, but I think that's really important to consider if you plan to do something for other teachers, if you start small to get other teachers to play test it, the financial cost is a lot lower than a bigger project. And I think I would say one other thing on that from my experience is I did not get the best feedback from people who I sent print on demand copies. Like I would just find people and be like, Hey, you want to check this out? Send them a copy. You know, this cost me 18 ish dollars to do per person. And I got pretty limited feedback from those copies. I actually got the best feedback from people who print and played it. So people who I sent the PDF, someone who's invested enough to cut out those little cards is probably someone who's going to be giving you better feedback than someone's like, Oh yeah, sure. I'll look at it sort of right. person. So right. and that's even cheaper. And for anyone that's not too familiar with the terms print on demand is a website that you go to you pay to have the company print it and send it to you and then the print and play you send files that someone can print and then just cut out the cards and play it on their own but yeah i guess with what you said about getting feedback if you are reaching out to play testers 
one thing I did, I had some success sending prints on demand, so I sent them a copy, is I had a conversation with them, like a back and forth email conversation before I decided to send it out, because in that case, I can ask them some questions, I can know when they're gonna use it, and know that they're at least somewhat committed to doing it. But yeah, I think you have to be, you have to do your due diligence if you're gonna send copies that cost you money, right? Yeah. To other play testers. So one thing too that you had talked about is cutting the fat or making changes and the minimal viable product. So you have this first design and you're sending it out to play testers and you're getting feedback when do you decide to make those changes to iterate the second version? Because I had fairly limited feedback from people outside of my own like personal network that I was playing with it in person, I was pretty quick to make changes and just go try it again the next day with with changes, especially changes to the rules that don't require reprinting the cards. And when you're I mean, you know, especially when you're playtesting with yourself and a friend, it's easy to try 10 different versions of the rule through the single, you can change the rules as you're playing the game. And I think playing yourself and being present for the play testing yourself is probably the, the way that I found the most helpful iteration on the rules. I think the other, the other place that I got really actionable feedback was about the visual design. I think getting visual design feedback is easy to get online compared to other aspects of the game. I found that like posting pictures of the cards on the tabletop game design Reddit group would get me, you know, 50 people would comment on an image and say, you should do this, you should do this, you should do this. And a lot of times people would be saying the same thing about like typography and about uh, the iconography. And I'd get very good feedback on visual design in that place. Yeah, there there are some very professional graphic designers on there that are willing to to give feedback, which is awesome. And that's one thing that I've been able to in my experience been able to take that feedback and also look at other cards right mm-hmm. and just kind of mock what's already happening and adjust it to your needs for your game yeah reading the feedback on other people's designs is, is super helpful and you don't need to have if you're making an educational game you don't need to hire an artist to get professional images i think that's the other important thing if this is going to be a small project for a limited group of people there's not going to be the money to spend a couple hundred dollars or hundred dollars or whatever per image. So it's really good to like get acclimated with some sort of software to make your own images. And I found that like there's online vector editors that I was quite comfortable making at least icons very specific to my game that work. Right. There's Pixabay, I know. And there's another website. I don't remember the name, but then also Noun Project is one that just, it's just like, I don't know, want to say thousands but probably millions of different like small little images like like a test tube maybe and it would just be a black test tube and you instantly recognize it as a test tube i would maybe recommend checking that out. I, I know you can use it in projects as long as you're not selling them or otherwise you have to pay for the copyright royalties whatever it's called oh yeah i don't know how that <laughs> the copyright i guess okay so how how have your students kind of felt about playing the game I think it's really challenging to get good feedback about something you're doing from people that you like evaluate. Right. So I I take anything they say with a pretty (laughs) significant grain of salt, but I do see them engaging. I do see them coming to the table. I do see like other people's students kind of like coming over from the other side of the room, the other team to come play. So I do see like 
people voting with their feet a little bit that they want to engage with the game. But that's about as much as I'm comfortable saying as far <laughs> as like how effective it is or how much they really like it because you don't really you don't believe what your students say when they say they like your class right i, I, I wouldn't at least yeah as long as if it's positive maybe i mean i believe the negative a, feedback anonymously <laughs> after your, the grades have been submitted maybe those are more safe i guess safer feedback that you can trust i'll have to yeah i have to think of some way to to better evaluate and do some scholarship on this project at some point but i'm i just haven't gotten to that yet right Awesome. We'll look forward to it. So before we move into the final segment, do you have any last words of advice for someone that is maybe going through the same situation as you? They're designing a game either for just their personal classroom use or maybe they want to design it for their class to then be used by other teachers. A big part of this project that we haven't talked about yet is social media. I think I started a Twitter account for the game maybe about a year ago, and I engaged with other people making games. I engaged with like experts in the area of content that I eventually recruited to help review the content to make sure that it's accurate. And I, you know, kind of tweeted along the process of building the game. I think early engagement in social media is important for when you want to really distribute the game to people and find your audience. I think it also was really helpful in developing the best game that I could. So I would definitely encourage people to get involved with social media and interact with people that are like, like-minded or otherwise interested in either the content or the, the type of game. Right. I think social media is huge. And one thing I might add to that is, and you kind of hinted on, is engaging with your audience too, more than just posting. Because we're getting so much information on social media, right? We're not going to really engage with the content unless we're being engaged with and kind of thinking of ways to frame your updates on the game to get feedback from your audience is good too. Yeah. There's the post that gained me the most followers or the most engagement had nothing to do with the game. It was just dumb jokes about antibiotics for the most <laughs> part. Like there's a lot of room just to engage as a human or right. as a troll or whatever, like just, just get out there and, and engage with other people about their posts or give it or answer questions that are unrelated to your product with that. I think that was really helpful in finding people too. Right. I remember, I don't remember where I heard it, but they had said they worked like a year just on a form. Was that, I don't know, I can't remember who it was. They were just answering questions on a form for a long time just to engage with that community. And then eventually they were able to like kind of put out their product and everybody knew who they were. Yeah, I think that definitely people pay attention to the faces they've seen over and over again in these Facebook groups or these, you know, Twitter subsets right i don't know what a group on twitter is called right twitter's i'm I'm still trying to learn how to use twitter i've got facebook down it's it's like a full-time job learning each social media awesome so michael thank you for all your insights and advice we're going to move into the final segment and this is a thumbs up thumbs down rapid fire round I'll give you some statements and you'll give me a thumbs up if you enjoy or you like it. A thumbs down if you don't really care for it and a brief explanation why. All right, so the first statement we have is, I think I know the answer, deck builders. Oh, thumbs up, absolutely. <laughs> I'm late to the game really, but uh, I picked up Dominion maybe four months ago and have been playing quite a bit of that. Ascension has a solo mode, so as someone with kids and not a lot of free time, I've been playing that one at night sometimes. And uh, ooh, Friday, I, 
I've been banging my head against Friday for a while, <laughs> which is a little tiny solo deck builder that um, I'm pretty sure is impossible or I'm just not very good at games. <laughs> but I'm enjoying it. Enjoying losing. I want to try that one. Dominion was the game that got me back into modern board games. I really like Dominion. It's good because you can kind of watch TV while you play too. I think that's like a... I've been enjoying you know, oh, watching yeah. television and just, you know what's it called parallel play or something that no that's the medical term for what kids do but like multiplayer solitaire oh sort of yeah, vibe, yeah you know yeah. i like that yeah yeah kind of just doing your own thing i'm i'm bad because i'm a bit impatient and i'm pretty quick with deck builders so mm -hmm. when i play with my wife i kind of want to skip her turn and just go that's what the television's for <laughs> yeah all right the next one since you are in the medical field operation I loved that game. Thumbs up. I, I loved that game. I don't know. And I was pretty good at it. Not that I'm not a surgical uh, surgical medical person right now, but I felt like I was good at it. It's probably not true, but I, I like that <laughs> that uh, fine motor stuff. Yeah. Awesome. And then solo games. You're, so at, I, you're like, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> Got all, all thumbs up. Yeah, maybe. all thumbs up, perhaps. I love solo games just because of the reality I live in. It's hard to find time. The last one, board game conventions. I've never been, so I assume they're terrible. I'll say thumbs down to board game conventions <laughs> since I've never been able to go to one. <laughs> you'll have to you'll have to go. Maybe when your daughters are a little bit older, you can go yeah. to one. Yeah. I, have, I have to go to. I have weekend obligations for my work, so it's hard to oh. sneak. It's hard to sneak away for something for fun, <laughs> unfortunately. Right. Yeah, awesome. Well, Michael, thank you again for sharing your thoughts and insights. If anyone wanted to come find you, not come to your house, but find you online. <laughs> Where might they do that? Probably the easiest thing to remember is the game's webpage, which is empiricgame.com, E-M-P-I-R-I-C, game.com. I'm on social media on Instagram and Twitter with that same Empiric Game. And then uh, me personally on Twitter is my full name, which is a little harder to spell, but it's Michael, C-O-S-I-M-I-N-I. Awesome. Thank you again, Michael. And thank you again for having me in your home for this podcast. Yeah, recording. absolutely. Welcome anytime. Thank you. Thank you for listening in this week. If you like what you heard, be sure to let us know. You can find us on social media as Board Gaming with Education or BGE Games or email us at podcast at boardgamingwitheducation.com. If you want to support our podcast, be sure to check out our support page on our website. As always, teach better, learn more, and most importantly, play more. Thank you for listening and until next time.